Welcome, one and all, to the first of a pair of special shows here on It Was a Thing on TV. My name is Joffrey Chancery III, and I know what you're thinking. Hey, don't you sound an awful lot like that Johnny C guy who did the intros for Marvel Month? Well, guess what? I'm not, because I hear that guy's a loser that never gets laid. In any event, to celebrate the upcoming release of Meavell's Studios Thor, Love and Thunder, we present this pair of episodes designed to celebrate the return of everyone's favourite Asgardian, Thor Odinson, into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In our first episode, we look at an early role for the Grand Master himself, Mr. Jeffrey Goldblum. Back in 1980, Stephen J. Connell, a television legend best known for floating his paper in the air, and I think he also made that Channing Tatum movie, 21 Jump Street. Wait, that was a TV show first? I've never seen it. Is it any good? Anywho, he created another TV show about two private detectives with Mr. Goldblum playing an accountant to his partner played by Ben Varen, a hustler working as a private dick to satisfy his parole requirements. So now... We go to our lovable band of scallywags as they look at ten speed and brown shoe. She's got a smile that it seems to me reminds me of childhood memories when everything was as fresh as a bright blue sky. Now and then when I see her face, she takes me away to that special place. And if I stare too long, I'd probably break down and cry. Whoa! Ho, ho, ho! Sweet child of mine! Did that guy just call Ben Vereen Ben Baron? Chico, that guy's British. Oh, that explains it. Well, to be honest, I don't know. Where I found this guy, this guy was on my lap. I was desperate to find somebody to do the intros for this set of episodes. So uh, he was willing to do it for minimum wage. So what can I tell you? As long as he was able to do it, you know. Yeah. Jeffrey Chancery the Third. Jeffrey Chancery the third. No, not Jeffrey. It's Joffrey Chancery. Oh, the Joffrey. My mistake. Now he sounds like a Game of Thrones character. Got it. Okay. Well, let's get on with this episode. Let's get on with this episode indeed. Episode number 283, submission number 608, 10 Speed, and Brown Shoe. 10 Speed and Brown Shoe aired on ABC from January 27th to June 27th of 1980 for 14 episodes. (laughs) 
every good producer has a humble beginning. This show was the first show ever produced by a legend in the industry. I mean, this is the sort of thing that, you know, you see his DNA in retrospect duplicated through all of his shows. And it all started with this one. And it would be Stephen J. Cannell. Of course, he was working with uh, his fellow cohorts, Gordon T. Dawson and Juanita Bartlett on the Rockford Files, which did really well and just brought the detective genre sort of kind of out of retirement, if it ever was in retirement. And it looks like here in the 1980s, after the Rockford Files is canceled, in fact, I believe it was two months after the Rockford Files was canceled, Stephen J. Cannell was on to his new project, which would be this show, in which you have, this is the logline, he's a little black con artist. He's a tall white accountant. They fight crime. It's a comedy. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, you have one character, E.L. Tenspeed. E.L., of course, stands for Early Leroy Tenspeed Turner, who is a hustler who worked as a private detective in order to satisfy a condition of his parole. He just got out of the joint. He's trying to make an honest life for himself, but you really cannot turn this guy into anything more than what he is, which is a fast-talking grifter. But he's a fast-talking grifter who's doing this stuff for good now. His partner is a guy named Lionel Whitney, who is a consistently hen-pecked sort of character. He's a lowly financier, who wants to live the life of a hard-nosed detective. So he does what anyone in his position does. He opens a detective agency, and because Turner needs a job to satisfy the conditions of his release, he hires him on as a partner. That only makes so much sense. But not as much sense as, well, who am I kidding? These guys take on, like, these guys were psych before psych was psych. This is the prototype of Dulé Hill and James Rodé Rodriguez here. You see it, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I see it. So, 10 speed and brown shoe, no real connecting narrative except the overall connecting narrative in that a con artist is trying to stay out of jail by helping an accountant play detective. And much like every TV detective, they always caught the bad guy, but they had a very hard issue getting paid. They couldn't get the money for some reason. Such is the life, right? So... Who are the people they got to play Ten Speed and Brown Shoe? Well, playing the role of, again, one is a legend 
and one, this is actually his first TV role. The legend is E.L. Tensby Turner, played by Ben Vereen, who is just this, you know, a veritable song and dance man. He is a classic triple threat. I mean, we've seen him do his dancing and singing on Zubilee Zoo. We've seen him, you know, act hard on the episode of The Fresh Prince. I don't know if you remember um, Sounds Like Music to Me, the, the music video from Reading Rainbow. It was one of my favorites. Vaguely, I do remember that, sort of. I'm going to have to... Uh, I'm going to have to find that. That wasn't on the Abby Yo-Yo episode with Pete Seeger, was it? No, it was not. Oh, well. That was one of my favorite episodes as a kid. The Abby Yo-Yo episode of Reading Rainbow with Pete Seeger. That was a good episode, too. That was. But yeah, Ben Vereen's still very much active, still very much in the game. And also still very much in the game is the guy they got to play Brown Shoe, native Pittsburgher, playing the role of Lionel Brown Shoe Whitney, native Pittsburgher. You would know his work when you see it. Jeff Goldblum. And if y'all don't know who Jeff Goldblum is, seriously, what's wrong with you? Are you living under a rock? Like, what universe do you live in? Talk about the fly. Talk about the Jurassic Park franchise. Talk about the world according to Jeff Goldblum on Disney+. Plus. I mean, seriously, what podcast are you listening to? And the reason why we're bringing him up for this special series of episodes is, of course, he plays the Grandmaster in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He does. He plays the Grandmaster of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I don't believe he's in Thor Love and Thunder so far as I know. We think, but you know what? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Thank you, Tom Baker. (laughs) You set it up, I knock it down. That's how we roll. For what it's worth... Truth by Consensus Wikipedia has him in Thor Love and Thunder, so... Yeah. And together, like I said, he's an ex-con, he's an accountant, they fight crime. That's really the crux of the show. It is perhaps one of the uh, most brilliantly written, albeit cancelled, detective shows on television in 1980. Because who do we have? Because Stephen J. Cannell ended up writing eight of the 14 episodes with his associates taking on the rest. And it just had his DNA. You have the theme music, which you heard at the top of the show, written by theme music gods, Mike Post and Pete Carpenter. Oh, yeah. And you know what? They did the theme to Riptide. You know who produced Riptide? Oh, Stephen J. Cannell. Stephen J. Cannell. And Greg, I hope you got good use out of your friendly subscription with the Riptide Marathon uh, the past couple of days on Decades. Oh, yeah. It was everything I could ask for. Now I have all the Tom Brank and want for a month. I'm happy for you, Greg. I am. I'm very happy. Mission accomplished. Good job. 
that in between crackle because I don't know if you guys know this, but okay. This is CNN breaking news. I got a new TV in the last week, guys. Woo. All right. Yeah, I got my uh, my unfortunately my 15 year old Vizio HD TV. Uh, went to that old uh, TV factory in the sky, guys. Aww. Oh, yeah, it died. But I replaced it with an Amazon Fire TV. It is uh, a 39 inches, I believe, and it is great. I have like um, Pluto TV. I got Disney Plus. I got Hulu. I got uh, Prime Video, Apple TV Plus. The whole works on it. And you know what I'm doing watching on the Fire TV? I'm watching old episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 on it. <laughs> nice. It's a good way to spend time. It That's is. Right. That's Very right. good decision. That's right. And tomorrow night, I'm going to be watching Munchie. <laughs> no. No. I know what you're doing. Okay. And aside from Ted's Beaded Brown Shoe, we have an assortment of colorful characters here. We have playing the role of Crazy Tommy Tedesco is Richard Romanus, who you would have seen in Mean Streets and you would have heard in Heavy Metal. And of course, he plays Richard LaPena in The Sopranos. And he was also Vinny in four episodes of feature entry Johnny Bago. And then you have Chip Vincent, played by Larry Minetti, a.k.a. Wreck from Magnum P.I., the original. Also played Nikki the Kid DeMarco on six episodes of Hawaii Five-O, the reboot, not the original. And he reprised the role in two episodes of Magnum P.I., the reboot, not the original. So he played two different characters in two different versions of the same show. And right now my eyes are all crossing. And then you have as Martha Gribb, Robin Douglas, which we talked about, uh, I believe it was last week or a couple of weeks ago. She was Sylvie in an episode of Lady Blue. Told you we'd get back to her. I believe she was the person who was supposed to marry Brownshoe. But that did not end well. No. No, it did not. And also, we should add, she was only on the pilot. So there you have it. You have your main principles. You have a couple of recurring characters. Let's go deep into the episodes, shall we? Speaking of the pilot, Mike. Fast-talking con man E.L. Early Leroy Tensby Turner hooks up with Straight Arrow suburban professional Lionel Whitney, who just happens to have a black belt in karate and was an Olympic Games pistol-shooting competitor. Wait, the they whole... have pistol-shooting at the Olympic Games? Yeah, of course they do, yeah. Uh, I mean, they have the, the, they have the biathlon. Oh, the Winter Olympics, okay. Well, well no, no, they have in, in the Summer Games, too. They have shooting events, yeah. They do have shooting events at the Olympics. Oh, you are right. There are shooting events in the Olympics. Yeah, because I remember like there was that one Atlanta Olympics game that had like the skeet shooting. Okay. And they team up to form a mismatched buddy private detective team. It's a bit of a comedy of errors here because, and this will all flesh out 
in both parts of the pilot, but we have a person, Ted Speed, who just stole like a million dollars from the mob. He needs to hide it somewhere. He hides it in the limo of Whitney's, you know, Whitney's matrimonial limo. What Turner doesn't know is that he stole a million dollars from the mob who got it from fencing Nazi diamonds. Yeah, he's a bad, he's a very bad man. He's a bad man. So Ted Speed hides the diamonds in the limo that Lionel Whitney is supposed to uh, take to his honeymoon with his head-pecking future wife. Now both groups are on the run and they're looking for some sort of escape from both the mob and Nazis. That's not cool. Lionel finds himself being pursued by Nazis and mobsters as does Ted Speed. Lionel manages to talk Ted Speed into doing the right thing by appealing to his conscience such as it is and running a scam to get everyone arrested. With Ted Speed out on parole and needing a job, Lionel decides to finance because he is a man of means. Lionel is a man of means. He decides to break off his engagements and finance a new detective agency with the reward money to fulfill his lifelong dream of being a hard-boiled detective like his favorite detective character, Max Savage. In a series of novels, written by somebody who looks like Stephen J. Cannell. Don't ask me how, all right? And this pilot is loaded for bear with a whole lot of guests. So are you guys ready for this? Oh, yes, I'm ready. Yeah, we talked about uh, Robert Weber. We talked about Larry Minetti. We talked about Richard Romanus. We did not talk about whoever played Ruth Lacrosse, the legendary. The one and only Jane Meadows. Oh. Pretty good stuff, huh? Yes. Mm-hmm. Don't really need to say anything more than that. No, 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 sir. And also we have in the role of Dr. Earhart Brandt, who is one of the Nazis looking for a 10 speed and brown shoe, Peter Brocko who played Ramon in the 1960s epic Spartacus. I love you, Spartacus. Is that the one with Tony Curtis? Oh, wait a minute. Yes, great, do it. Did you say Tony Curtis? Well, well, Uh, you you did the Spartacus line, yes. Okay, hold on a second. Oh, he's got something better than this. I got to cue it up. Hold on a second. There we go. Greg didn't expect me to go there, but damn it, I did. Yeah, you did. Oh, my gosh. I'm Tony Curtis. Tonight on Hollywood Babylon, we're going to be talking about Jeff Goldblum and Ben Vereen in a detective show called Ten Speed and Branch You. You know, why does Dr. Ian Malcolm always think that life founds a way? I don't even know what he's talking about. You know, man didn't know what it was understood about the dinosaurs living together with the 
human race. I'm Tony Curtis. Frank Dieter, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, but aside from that, he is a quintessential that guy from that thing. He's been in everything from It Takes a Thief to The Odd Couple to The Rockford Files. And his last credited role, well, one of his last credited roles was 1987's Throw Mama from the Train. Oh, Throw Mama from the Train. Oh, what a classic classic. movie. Oh, that's a great movie. With Billy Crystal, Danny DeVito, and Mama Fratelli from the Goonies. Wait, hey, Greg, can't overlook the obvious. We're going to talk about Danny DeVito on the next episode. That's right. We will be talking about Danny DeVito in the next episode. Oh, but yes. We're going to be taking out the trash also after this episode, so... And thus begins the epic adventures of Ted Speed and Brown Shoe. And we pick up when Whitney has his own agency. He's waiting for the phone to ring. Meanwhile, we hear him narrate in his own head in a voice that can only be described as Jeff Goldblum-like reading a Max Savage novel. But the phone does eventually ring, and we get into episode two, the Robin Tucker's Roseland's Roof and Ballroom Murder. Lionel takes his first case, tracking down a missing girl on behalf of a millionaire, but he soon discovers that the millionaire wants her dead, and others start dropping dead around her. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Playing the role of said millionaire Bill Kingman is... John Plachette, who you would probably remember from the first couple of seasons of Knott's Landing. Oh, and he portrayed Lee Harvey Oswald in the TV movie The Trial of Lee Harvey Oswald. Where, guess what, guys? Yeah, he played Lee Harvey Oswald. You're kidding. And also, we should add that he is the cousin of Suzanne Plachette. That's right, he is. Yep. So, yeah, talent is in their DNA. Playing the role of the daughter is Elaine Heilvale. If I mess that up, I'm sorry. And she has been on four episodes of Beauty and the Beast from 1989 playing Olivia. But she was perhaps best known as Nancy Lawrence Maitland on the 1976 series Family. Anyone else in this episode? We have, oh, Leo Gordon's in this episode. Leo Gordon plays Joe Kingman in this episode, and you know him as a poker player in the 1994 movie Maverick, and also as Charlie Bowden in the 1990 series Wise Guy. But fi- Was that the final season of Wise Guy? Probably. From 1994? Yeah, probably. Wait, not... No, wait. That 1994? Would... That seems late. Oh, wait. No, wh- 19, 1990. I'm thinking of Magic yeah, again. Yeah, Wise Guy was the last season was 1990, but that was after like Ken Wall left the show. So, But yeah, he's known for mostly westerns, as is evidenced by his role as a poker player in Maverick. The movie Maverick. The movie Maverick. But he also was in Sequest 2032 at the same time. So. 
Not only was he in The Winds of War in 1983, he played a different character in the sequel, War and Remembrance. Was he in The Winds of Whoopi? Sadly, no. Will he be in Whoopi and Remembrance? Sadly, no. You know, I really hope that Steve Barton does finally, after 35 years, make that sequel, Whoopi and Remembrance. You and me, brother. Uh, yeah. Episode four. Savage says, there's no free lunch. Lionel falls in love with a female client who has hired him to find who is trying to kill her. Meanwhile, E.L. tries to duck a former partner from his past. Now, why would you want to duck a former partner from your past unless, hold on, you owe him his cut, don't you? Don't you? Anyway, playing said former partner is Tony Burton as Skeeter McClintock, sadly no longer with us. But, but yeah, but, he was Duke in the Rocky movies. Yeah, Apollo's trainer Duke. Yes, sir. And of course, the person that Whitney ends up falling in love with, Avon Madison, played by Janice Hayden, not known for much except well, her latest uh, credit and three episodes of Santa Barbara. But yeah, she was also in uh, Call to Glory, which we sort of glanced upon last week. I want to offer an alternative capsule because I think my capsule here of this episode is a little more interesting. Okay. Nothing against what you got, but... On this episode, uh, Ten Speed and Brown Shoe face corporate crime, sex for rent, and murder for hire when a beautiful call girl turned executive asks for help in finding out who is trying to kill her. Ooh. Yeah, you didn't say anything about corporate crime or sex for rent. Yeah. No, I did not. It's a good thing you found that, though. And a call girl turned executive. Oh, my. How about we go to episode five? Episode five. Savage says, what are friends for? A stockbroker and friend of Lionel's hires the detectives to investigate two men who are having it make investments with negotiable bonds. Uh, We actually have uh, two Huckermans, Sylvia and Marty. They're played by Deborah Shelton and James Murtaugh. James Murtaugh, of course, known primarily for the role of Jack in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and the role of Chief Tom McInerney in Third Watch. And Deborah Shelton, known primarily for her role in Body Double, Sins of the Night, Silk Degrees, and Nemesis, all of which sounds like movies that Dad probably collected but wouldn't let me watch. Play the role of the Hellhound leader, Martin Cohn. You know him. Well, some people may remember him from his role on Cagney and Lacey, but the role that pays his rent. The role that pays his rent. The role that pays his rent. I want to see rent. I want to see rent. Sensei John Kreese. In the Karate Kid franchise. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Cobra Kai. Let's make it even more recent. Yeah, Cobra That's Kai. That's part of the franchise, bro. Yeah. Episode six. What? What? The 16 bite data chip and the brown eyed fox. Yeah, this was back in 1980 where 16 bites. Oh, 16 bites. It's like, oh, this is as good as it's going to get. Oh, we're not going to need more than this. Yeah, fast forward 40 years. And I have three terabytes in my pocket right now. I think he's breaking again. EL is smitten with Lola Marshall, a beautiful dancer who hires the partners to find her missing brother, a computer programmer who has used in a scheme to liquidate a tax evaders company against his will. Playing the role, of course, is Lynn Moody, who is known mostly as a voice actor. She played additional voices in 13 episodes of a pop named Scooby-Doo. She was also featured in Foofer, uh, E slash R, which, seriously, if this isn't on the schedule soon, it should be. And I have no idea what class and session is, but she plays the principal. With respect, you're dropping the ball because you're missing another big one. Mike, you're going to have to wait for me to get to all of the names before you say I... No, no, not the names. I'm talking about a TV show that Lynn Moody was on. Oh, see, I, because, did, miss, I did miss the ball on that one. Yes, there's actually two I want to mention because when you said her name, I went immediately to two shows. Mm-hmm. First, she was on eight episodes of Soap in seasons three and four. She was actually dating Jody, uh, Billy Crystal's character. Because they did some sort of like conversion therapy, you know, t- talking about uh, really risque stuff back in 1980, 81, th- where they determined, oh, he's just playing a gay guy. He's actually straight. So he dated uh, this female named Polly Dawson, which is Lynn Moody. And, uh, and also just to throw in a little extra wrinkle to make it even more controversial because Soap was known for it. Lynn Moody is African-American, and of course, Billy Crystal is white. So, hey, it's an interracial, uh, it's a a mess in 1981 is what it is. But yeah, so so that's where I remember her from. But also, she was on That's My Mama. Oh, yes, That's My Mama. And if you don't know how much we love That's My Mama around here, stick around pay pay more attention yeah I, I think that's i think that might be covered sometime soon not sure when but sometime soon uh, something i'm we... sorry i'm th- I, no i'm sorry i'm thinking that's going on never cover territory that's my mama was a good show yeah but it only lasted but the one season if i'm not mistaken two seasons two, oh never mind forget i said anything <laughs> okay and play the role of Cletus in this episode. Somebody we actually talked about on this podcast, Dennis Berkeley. We yeah, remember, we talked about him. Yes. Yep, we talked about him on Sanford. Yes. And he played uh, like a congressional aide to Maud Finley on like the series finale, the last two episodes of Maud. And of course, he's known as Principal Boss from King of the Hill. One of his last roles. Sadly, no longer with us. Playing the role of Lieber in this episode 
Louis Arquette, known as Rex the Force the Third on 17 episodes of Camp Candy, uh, but also uh, 50 episodes of Rocky Road as Lucas Buchanan. Of course, Rocky Road, one of the many Arthur Company joints put out by TBS. And Greg, this one's for you, buddy. He played Superfly Jimmy Snuka on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Yeah, that's right. Well, wait, what relation is Lewis to David Arquette? They are related because Cliff Arquette, aka Charlie Weaver, is his dad. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm trying Cliff, to figure out. Yeah, Cliff Arquette is his dad. Louis Arquette is the father of Alexis, Patricia, David, Rosanna, and Richmond Arquette. So future WCW World Heavyweight Champion David Arquette's dad played Jimmy Superfly Snooker on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. That is fantastic. Indeed. Uh, Episode uh, 7. All right. Episode, the Millionaire's Life. Oh, The Millionaire's Life. EL gets his old partner, Mike McGill, to run a scam to pay Lionel with con money to keep the agency afloat. However, the fake crime that they set up uncovers a real one, and the crooks will do anything to keep it quiet. Even murder! Uh, I pictured that going differently in my head. But yeah, this one has a whole lot of names on it. Uh, Playing said partner, Mike Scoop McGill, James Sloyan, who we talked about on Old Madeline, but also did the rounds on a week of The Match Game. Hollywood Squares Hour. Hour. But wait a minute. He did play the future version of Worf's kid. He was future, Alexander. Uh, I have no idea how to explain that one, but there you go. Uh, Playing the role of Milt is Kenneth Kimmins, who you remember from the last season of Coach. Oh, that was the one where Coach was coaching the uh, NFL expansion team in Orlando. Mm -hmm. Was it NFL or just... An expansion team. I don't remember if it was specifically NFL because. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sure sure they wouldn't mention that by name. Yeah. But yeah, the South Florida or Tampa, whatever it was. The Orlando Breakers. Orlando Breakers. There you go. And it wasn't just the last season, it was like the last three seasons. Man, I don't remember that lasting that long, that, that, uh, that story arc. Okay. Yeah. But remember who the owner of the team was? Catherine Hellman. Because as we all we all know, she's the boss. She's she's the the, boss. She's the boss. I've said this for a long time. She was the boss of who's the boss. Yeah. Everyone thinks that it was either Tony Danza or Judith Light. No, it was Catherine Hellman. She was the boss. She was the boss. Also, in this episode, we have played the role of Chase is Ben Hammer who played Judge Wiseman in Sleepers and young Dar's father in The Beastmaster. But of course, Greg and I, and maybe Mike, would know him best as Hans the Maitre d' in a very disastrous lunch date in the only 80s movie that truly, truly matters. 
1987's Mannequin. That is true. Yes. And by the way, hold on a second. Let me get it off the shelf. Greg has a copy that he's showing right now. I got it on Blu-ray, folks, because I can't stream this. I might as well get the Blu-ray of it from Olive Film. So there it is. All its glory right here. Yes. I love that they have the poster art, too, of Andrew McCarthy on the motorcycle with the mannequin. Yes. And it says, some guys have all the luck. Yeah. Hey, it's not every day that you have a Brat Packer share the screen with somebody who's incredibly stiff. And also a mannequin. But also one day will be the future version of Hillary Duff. Yes. And also in this episode, playing the role of Sally is Deborah Adair, who will cover uh, sometime in the new year, not going to say when, but sometime in the new year, we will cover The Finder of Lost Loves. And rounding out the known entities on this episode, playing the role of Joey is Mino Paluche, which we covered in voyagers that's right but you know what we'll also be talking about him again later on in the year because remember guys as i mentioned back in episode three he was on minimal <laughs> he was we actually have one more name and that's floyd labine who plays mark trousdale he was actually in braddock missing in action three with chuck norris he was also in two films with Eddie Murphy, Norbit, and Meet Dave. And he was also in Airplane to the sequel. Hey, guys, you know, since Chico mentioned Chuck Norris, I'm going to have to play this. Walker told me I had AIDS. Jeez. Good night, everybody. Mike is ashamed that I played that. Thank you, Conan. I mean, that was Conan's go-to like 15, 20 years ago was that. Mm. With with the walker lever. Oh, yeah. Some of the greatest scenes ever. Especially... (laughs) Remember that one clip with the dad from the Wonder Heroes like walking away from the kid and he falls jumping on the ground? Do you remember that clip? That was disturbing as hell. Yes, that clip was disturbing as hell. But the best part is, since Walker Texas Rangers now on H and I, like I could watch it at any time out of context, and you know what? It's just as hilarious as it is on Conan. Okay, let's continue. Okay, episode eight. Savage says the most dangerous bird is the jailbird. Oh, yeah, the most dangerous bird is the jailbird. Oh, yeah. Eh, close enough. A lounge singer comes to the partners for help against the crazed gangster. Play the role of the lounge singer, Phyllis Lassiter, Shelly Smith, who we talked about on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. We talked about her like two weeks ago in Though Lady Blue. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we also talked about 
uh, for Love and Honor, but we did not mention her work on that show. Before we get to the other guest uh, stars of note, I do want to give again the capsule that I have uh, from a newspaper back in 1980, because it gives, uh, again, it paints a a bit of picture. Ten Speed and Brown Shoe make the mistake of trying to protect the beautiful mistress of crazy Tommy Tedesco, the violent and outrageous mobster that the duo have outwitted in the past. So the lounge singer is the uh, ex of of crazy Tommy Tedesco. Yes. Who we talked about already. Richard Romanus plays that role. And play the role of Johnny McClain is Richard Dimitri, who... You We've talked about. about him. That's the person I wanted to talk about, because we talked about him when we talked about when things were rotten. He played Bertram and Ronaldo. In this episode, we have an actor by the name of Woody Any. Uh, that guy from that thing, no longer with us, passed away in 2017, you wouldn't really know him much for anything, but he did play uh, the character of David Miller in the episode Fuzzy Vision of Riptide back in 1985. But that's not why I brought him up, guys. Do you know what the name of his character is in this episode? What's the name of his character, Greg? Mike. Mike. Okay. Uh, I'm before, seated. Before I'm I seated. say anything... I want you to put your hands to your face in shame in advance, okay? Okay, you ready for who he played in this episode? Okay. Larry Craig. Oh, no. That's not a name that's aged well the last 20 years. No. No word if he had a wide stance in this episode. Moving on! (laughs) Was he anywhere near the men's bathroom in the Minneapolis airport? Well, guys, you do know that every year whenever Ken Jennings goes to the Minneapolis St. Paul Airport and he's actually admitted this, he lays a rose on the spot where Larry Craig got nailed. (laughs) That is not a joke. He actually does that. Oh, my gosh. The stuff you learned on this podcast. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right, going on to episode nine. Oh, I, I, I'd love to, believe me. Uh, <laughs> episode nine. It's easier to pass an elephant through the eye of a needle than a bad check in Bel Air. E.L. is busy running a real estate scam on an Arab sheik when his nephew B.L. arrives in town. The boy has stolen a numbers runner's book and has convinced the crook that E.L. hasn't. Boy, we got names galore in this episode. I'm not even going to start with an actor. I'm going to start with the director first. Mm-hmm. The director of this episode is Ivan Dixon. You'd know him from Hogan's Heroes. He played Kinchlow. Oh. Yeah, one of the supporting uh, actors on, uh, on Hogan's Heroes. All right, play the role of BL, Brandon Leroy Turner. James Bond the Third, who is basically a that little guy from that thing. In fact, his longest role, his longest serving role, was as Doc in in all twelve episodes of the Red Hand Gang. But nowadays, he likes to produce. And then, as Lester Rollins, we have Dick Anthony Williams, 
who sadly is no longer with us, but you remember him as Officer Allen in Edward Scissorhands, or maybe as Todd in The Jerk, or all 13 episodes of Heart of the City as Lieutenant Ed Van Duzer. And then as Rogers Dillingham, we have somebody who we've talked about on this podcast before, all the way back in the before times, I want to say, Robert Alda. You remember him. He played Dr. Dan Lewis on Super Train. That's right, Super Train, all the way back in episode 14. Mm -hmm. Ah, Super Train. What a great episode that was. Yep. You know he's going to come up again in a few months. Oh, he is? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's great. That is indeed great. Well, also, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention... He's Alan Alda's dad. Yes. One more name that I want to add before we go to the next episode. Playing Candy in this episode is Rennie Roker. Doesn't have much of a career on IMDb, but the main reason I mentioned Rennie Roker is he's the brother of Roxy Roker and the cousin of Al Roker. And because he's the brother of Roxy Roker, that means he's the uncle of Lenny Kravitz and the granduncle of Zoe Kravitz. So he is the grand uncle of Catwoman, basically. Uh, Something like that, yeah. I had to do it once. You nailed it, Greg. Episode 10. Loose Larry's List of Losers. EL's tough new parole officer wants to put him away, and the park crews go after someone who wants to kill the officer to convince him otherwise. Yeah, Lionel receives a hot birthday present from EL, and EL's probation officer is trying to find a way to put him back in. Yeah, you probably don't want to do that. Playing the role of John Dalem, who I'm imagining is the officer in question, is Nicholas Coster, who... Nowadays, plays Mayor Jack Madison in the digital soap opera The Bay, but played Captain Harriman in the 1998 adaptation of Time Cop. He was also, are you ready for this? Blair Warner's daddy on the Facts of Life. Wow. And also, we know who played Joe's daddy on the Facts of Life. It was Alex Rocco. Oh, neat! And also on this episode, playing Bernice Courtney is Candace Azara, who is a That Woman from That Thing. She played 14 episodes of Angie Spadaro in Caroline in the City. And she was Millie in six episodes from 1979 of Soap. Yeah, she was in one of those story arcs in season three. But also... Since I love my Married with Children, and this is one of my favorite episodes, she played Madam Inga in the episode Psychic Avengers. Basically, she plays a, 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 a psychic, and Al pisses her off a little bit because he tries getting into the psychic business, and he wants to dominate Chicago, but Chicago is like her area, Madam Inga's area, mm-hmm. and he obviously, as I said, makes her mad. Uh, and breaks her crystal ball, and she got mad that uh, Al broke her ball. Little, yeah, Al broke her ball. 
her ball, her ball. Yeah, her, her testicle. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Don't like you know. It's married with children. Don't read too much into it. And so ultimately, she ends up putting a curse on the Bundys for Al breaking her ball, dropping her ball. And the curse was they turned into orangutans. One of the funniest endings. Anywho. Episode 11. This one's gonna kill ya! When Lionel investigates the 40-year-old murder of a woman, people start shooting at the partners. Lionel takes on the 40-year-old murder case of Sable Hill and works with the retired police detective who handled the case. People start shooting at E.L. and Lionel, and they soon realize the murder attempts are tied into the resurrected murder case. A bit of trivia on this one. Plague himself, apparently, the author of the Mark Savage detective novels at a police station, Stephen J. Cannell. Because, you see, he wrote the Mark Savage novels that, uh, that, um, Whitney likes to read. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's the author. Yeah. Well, yeah, and also this show is his show. Yes. Yeah, writing, directing. I think he did everything except catering the show. Yeah. How do we know he didn't cater the show? Yeah, how do we know he didn't cater the show? Well, I guess we'll just have to go look at the episodes and see who did the catering. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he hired for the catering the person that did those wonderful sandwiches for Tony Randall on Password. Wonderful sandwiches. Those were wonderful sandwiches that Tony loved. Wonderful sandwiches. All right. Playing the role of Sergeant Bogart on this episode is James Whitmore Jr., who nowadays is more of a director, having directed episodes of NCIS, NCIS Los Angeles, NCIS New Orleans, NCIS Hawaii, The Resident Evil, The Good Fight, and Madam Secretary. He's been busy. And playing the role of Vernon Laws on this episode is John Anderson. Not that John Anderson. No, not the presidential candidate, John Anderson. And not John Henson's partner on the original Wipeout, but California Charlie from Psycho. You remember Psycho, right? Yes, everyone remembers Psycho. Everyone remembers how that movie... Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he also played in Eight Men Out from 1988, where he played Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis. Oh, the original commissioner of baseball. He played Kennesaw Mountain Landis. What an amazing movie that is, Eight Men Out. If you've never seen Eight Men Out, I highly recommend you get that. That is another movie that Olive Films has released on Blu-ray from the MGM catalog, and you have to get that, too, along with Mannequin. It'll make a nice double feature. Oh, yeah. And, of course, you may want to throw in that one episode of Voyagers where he plays Abraham Lincoln. Oh, that's right. He does. That's the episode where they have to stop the Confederacy from taking over, right? If I remember correctly, wasn't that Abraham Lincoln kind of gets, like, kidnapped or something? If I remember that episode correctly. Sounds familiar. 
It's been a long time since we covered that show. Yeah, I know. Hey, speaking of shows that we haven't covered in a long time, playing Jiggs Duran in this episode is Fred Stuffman. He played Henry Alder on Hello, Larry. He was Larry Alder's dad. Hello, Larry. Hello, Larry. Hello, Larry. That's another show that needs to be streaming. Portland is a long way from L.A. That and Mr. Smith are two shows that need to be streaming somewhere. Yep. Once again, hashtag, give us Mr. Smith. Please, someone. Ken Lober, you we know you listen to this podcast. Put it out there. Give us Mr. Smith. Give us what we want. We want the monkey. Give us the monkey. Episode 12, Untitled. EL discovers that the agency cleaning woman, Katie, is Russian royalty. He arranges for her to marry a talent agent desperate to acquire a title in return for a 10% finder's fee. However, a Russian professor and his goons come after Katie for a jeweled dagger that belonged to the Tsar. Oh, boy. Playing the role of Katie, uh, the lovely Leslie Woods, who sadly is no longer with us, died in 2003. Her last role was Grandma Helen Logan in 56 episodes of The Bold and the Beautiful. But, oh, Chico, we got a big name in this episode. We do. Real big name, yep. A big name and a long name. Playing the role of Marty Box who I imagine is the agent in question, Rene Abishadois. And if you don't know who he is... Wait for later in 1980, because he'd be on a little show called Benson. Yes, he was on Benson. But not only that. Well, not just that. Yes, I'm just saying, yeah. for starters, 1980 is Benson. when Benson started. So, Benson! But... But, but let, 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 get it out of your system, Greg. I know where you're going. He was Otto on Deep Space Nine. Oh, there it is. Friend of ours, Rebecca Wingo, actually has a cat named Dodo. Named it after the character. Oh, that's terrific. Oh, he was awesome, Oda. I loved Odo. I really do. Oh, and also, not to uh, tip our hands as to what's coming up later this week, but he was also on an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes. No, you got to do it right. He was on an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And in that episode, I believe he was playing a drama teacher because Dee was reconsidering what she wanted to do in life, not necessarily just be a bartender. She wanted to get into acting. And he was the acting coach, acting teacher. Episode 13. The treasure of Sierra Madre Street. The judge hires the agency to determine if a mental patient, Dean Culpitz, is actually a hired killer. However, Lionel and E.L. soon learn that the judge is anything but, and there's a million dollars in missing money that Culpitz, the judge, and the money's original owner all want. Uh-oh. 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 But you know, Chico, the way you said money 
made me think of the JJ Walker commercial. Money, money, money. money. Okay, playing playing Dean Culpitz is Michael C. Gwynn, who is known. Well, play he played Slim in Cherry Two Thousand and the Duke of Rock in Private Parts, but he's known as Steve Barton in the first season of Falcon Crest. One more name that I need to add, mm-hmm. playing a young man in this episode, is John Volstad. He was the second Daryl on Newhart. Hi, I'm Larry. This is my brother Daryl. This is my other brother Daryl. He was the other brother Daryl. He was the other brother Daryl. I played the judge, Judge Ducharme, is Kendall Carly Brown, sadly no longer with us. In her later roles, she played old ladies, obviously. She was Max's grandmother on CSI. She played an old woman on Pineapple Express, an old woman on an episode of My Name is Earl, and an old woman on Zoe 101. I bring this up because she is the mother of Bart Braverman. You mean TV's Bart Braverman? I mean TV's Bart Braverman. Yep, her husband was Herb Braverman, and their children were Bart and Charles Braverman. And finally, Diamonds aren't forever. The partners try to impress Lytle's parents and get involved with Diamond Thieves, play the role of Lytle's parents, Dana Winter, who played Harriet Whitney, of course, Dana Winter, best known as Becky Driscoll in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and Cindy in the original Airport, but playing the role of William Whitney, John Hellerman. Yeah, he'd be about a year away from hitting the big time. Well, not even a year away, because Magnum P.I. premieres the fall of 1980. Okay, so, well, there you go. So within... A couple a months. matter of months, yeah. Mm-hmm. And playing Van Cott, a known entity, Tao Penglis, who you would remember as, uh, from your, if not from your mother's stories, then definitely as Nicholas Black on the new Mission Impossible, who is basically the Martin Landau of my generation. And that's it. That's the series. So, again, this seems like it's incredibly well-written and incredibly well-produced, and a good start for what would be the Stephen J. Cannell extended universe. In fact, we would see E.L. Tensby Turner again in a future uh, Stephen J. Cannell production, J.J. Starbuck. But that's another story. So... What happened? Well, we're going to play a couple of games that we usually do. Well, not games, but we're going to look at the ratings and we're going to look at the schedule. Let's start with the schedule. For its first episode, and this would have aired February 3rd of 1980 on ABC, it went up against, I don't know why this would have been airing uh, on February 3rd, But on NBC, there was a three-hour Bob Hope's Overseas Christmas Tours special. 
And on CBS in the 8 to 9 p.m. hour, Who boy, this is not good. Um, it starts off at 8 to 8.30 with Archie Bunker's Place, which I know is not uh, all in the family, but still, it, it got a good three-year run, so there's still a little bit of, a little bit of momentum in that show. Uh, and then uh, from 8.30 to 9, a little show called One Day at a Time. Yeah. You thought CBS had a Death Star on Sunday nights before? CBS Sunday nights in 1980? Forget about it. But then it moved to Friday nights. So uh, it did later move to Friday nights. Uh, I have the Friday, June 27th, 1980 schedule here. And it aired at 10 o'clock on Friday nights. Okay, forget about it. Okay, you know what I'm going to say on CBS. Uh, on NBC was A Man Called Sloan. But on CBS, say it. Dallas. Yeah. So it's dying there. It's, it's not getting any viewers there. But I find it interesting. They moved it from 8 to 10. Eight o'clock on a Sunday for a comedy slash detective show is, I think, a pretty good time. But then you moved it to 10. And once you put it up against Dallas, all bets are off. You're, you're not winning that one. Yeah, the thing of it is, uh, they, it didn't really get a chance to have a steady audience because its run was actually interrupted by the 1980 Lake Placid Winter Olympics didn't have much of a consistency on the schedule there. Well, I want to look at the ratings because I think the ratings paint a picture. For the first couple of weeks, this is from February 4th to the 10th, but I thought I pulled up uh, the ratings for the first episode too and they were similar. Believe it or not, out of 68 shows, for the week it ranked 8th. 8th. Now, this is the first episode? This is the second episode, but I, I, I had the range for the first episode. I don't know why it's not coming up. And I'm sure it was similar, if not the same. But it was eighth. And actually, if you take a look at the competition, this is very interesting, I think, when I take a further look at this. I told you that Archie Bunker's place was on uh, against the first half hour. Archie Bunker's place was seventh. So it didn't even win its own time slot. Nope. I think that's absolutely crazy. Well, I didn't close out the ratings for the first week. I just had my browser in the wrong order, uh, apparently. 10 Speed and Brown Shoe was eighth after its premiere week two. Okay. So, so the first two weeks, you're talking about uh, the pilot and you're talking about the first hour-long episode, eighth. Eighth out of, I think I said, 68 episodes, then uh, the first week, it was out of 66 episodes. But then we get a little bit later. How about not even a month later? This is for the week of February 26th to March 2nd of 1980. We go from eighth to out of 62 shows, 31st, barely top half. So there's a nice tumble from eighth to 31st. And we're not done. Mm -mm. March 17th to 23rd. So we're talking three weeks later. Out of 
your favorite number of shows, 69. Nice. Thank you. This isn't nice. It was 60th. So when in literally like six weeks from 8th to 31st to 60th. Yuck. In a word, yuck. That, that's a very good word to use. Yuck. And then you put it on opposite Dallas and the writing was clearly on the wall. And I think that had to have been during the Dallas time. Uh, possibly, again, we were talking about six weeks in and uh, not even six episodes in because it looks like the third episode that we talked about, the third regular non-pilot episode, didn't air until March. So even though this show, quote unquote, started in uh, January of 1980, they didn't get to like the third regular episode to like mid-March, I don't believe. So I wonder if that's one of the reasons why it died is you're not giving viewers what they want consistently. You know, you're not giving them say 24 episodes in 26 weeks or whatnot. If you're giving them sporadic episodes, they're going to lose interest. And especially when you move the show from 8 PM on Sundays to 10 PM on Fridays against probably the number one show on television at that point, that's just, like you're going to kill the show off. And I think that was the raison d'etre that they pulled it at the end of March, only to burn it off in the beginning of the summer of that year. Yeah. But the ratings just absolutely tumbled from eighth to 60th in about a month. That's crazy. Uh, Another crazy thing I want to mention is uh, this is a story I pulled up from January 18th of 1980 Stephen Cannell wrote the 10-speed and round shoe pilot in 10 hours. 10 hours? That's what it says here. I'm going to read the the article, uh, or at least uh, a good portion of it, and uh, you'll find out what it's talking about. Ben Vereen is 10-speed. Jeff Goldblum is brown shoe. Stephen Cannell is the man who puts 10-speed into gear and puts the polish on brown shoe. Tee-hee-hee. Oh, I should mention this is written by Jerry Buck, who's an AP television writer. Cannell created the new ABC action comedy series, 10 Speed and Brown Shoe, under his new deal to develop shows exclusively for ABC. He also has another new ABC show, Stone, in which Dennis Weaver plays a cop who becomes a best-selling author. Cannell is one of television's most prolific and imaginative creators. He wrote the pilots for Chase, City of Angels, Toma, Beretta, Baba Black Sheep, Duke, Richie Brockelman with Steve Bochco, and The Rockford Files with Roy Huggins. He created Stone from an idea by Richard Levinson and William Link. I'd always want to do a show like 10 Speed and Brown Shoe and about an odd couple who team up as detectives, said Cannell, age 38, whose tanned face is partly hidden by a long hair and a dark beard. 10 Speed is a black con man. Brown Shoe is a white stockbroker who's a romantic. ABC was a little skeptical about the show, so I came back with a story. They liked it, and I wrote it. ABC also wanted the two-hour pilot for its mid-season changes. Cannell wrote it in 10 days. He said he is used to working 14-hour days under deadline pressure. He has produced the Rockford Files for the last six years, He's written more than 100 scripts in the past seven years. 
So it says 10 hours. Maybe they have a bad title. Maybe it's 10 days because it says that he wrote it in 10 days. I'm just going by what I see here. Continuing, uh, the two-hour pilot of 10 Speed and Brown Shoe is an ingenious and amusing story of how two disparate partners got together. Vereen, who is Chicken George and Roots, is an ingratiating con man with a repertoire of tricks to outwit the pursuing mafia and Nazi party. Go Bloom is the square conservative stockbroker whose passion is detective stories. He's a newcomer to television, but has been in such movies as Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Between the Lines, Next Stop Greenwich Village, and Nashville. So depending on who you believe here, if it's a typo or what have you, the, the article says 10 days, the headline says 10 hours. I think 10 days is more realistic. We know Stephen J. Cannell loves his typing. <laughs> if you ever see the credits for Stephen yeah. Cannell Productions. Yeah, the, the, the irony is he doesn't even know how to type. He writes all of his scripts and somebody else types it. Then it had to be 10 days. There's no way you could write a two-hour pilot in 10 hours. I'm sorry, not believing it. I know Stephen J. Cannell was... Uh, the ultimate professional, a great writer and whatnot. A genius, even. But I just... That has to be a typo. It has to be in the headline 10 days. One other thing I want to mention is you can find this. This is not all that hard to find with like a giant asterisk. I'll, I'll get to the asterisk in a moment. If you go to Pluto TV in its on-demand section... Episodes three through 14 are available there. There's a reason one and two are not available. Shout Factory is the distributor of episodes three to 14. Unfortunately, the pilot episode, technically episodes one and two, they're owned by CBS. Well, you'd think they'd have it on Pluto because CBS is owned by Paramount which owns Pluto TV. Understandable, but from Wikipedia, uh, it says because CBS, who held ownership of the pilot, refused to come to an agreement on its use, MCI revealed in January 2010 that it would not be included on the DVD. And apparently that extends now to on-demand on Pluto TV. Yeah, even so, though CBS owns the service it's streaming on. Well, yeah. maybe it's another one of those situations going back to the uh, the never-ending fight for, hey, put uh, Mr. Smith on DVD. Maybe it's one of those things that CBS just either doesn't know about or, or doesn't care about. Okay, so to review, uh, if you like the security of physical media... You can get episodes 3 through 14 on DVD, thanks to Mill Creek, or you can stream it online on Pluto or ShopFactoryTV.com. But CBS will not release the uh, two-hour pilot movie. Of course, you can still watch the two-hour pilot movie unofficially on YouTube. Well, actually... You can see the pilot sort of on DVD because the uh, pilot was part of the German DVD release. So if you can find that and you speak German, 
you're all set. I don't sprechen Sie Deutsch, so. Oh. Yeah. So I'll stick to episodes three to 14. Well, what can we say about 10 speed and brown shoe? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Ben Vereen, he had a career before this show, and he's had a career since. Jeff Goldblum, what more can we say about Jeff Goldblum? His career is legendary. And together, they made this legendarily good, but legendarily little-watched thing on TV. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. But of course, as always, you can go to our website, itwasathingontv.com, where you can listen to the 282 episodes that aired previous to this one. We have all sorts of fun stuff on itwasathingontv.com. We got live shows. We got director's cuts. We got mini-sodes. We got bonus shows. The like, over 360 pieces of content. And guys, soon, we will be hitting 50,000 downloads. Woo! We are at 49,874 downloads at the time we're recording this. So we are just 126 downloads away. Yep, we'll baby. hit it before this episode gets released. That's I'm just right. saying that right now. It, we yep. will hit 50,000 either yep. Saturday or Sunday. Because yeah, we have another mini set that we're releasing. We have the uh, episode of, of Paternity. No. Paternity Court. That we is have, something it's else. A, it's a live show. We did a live show okay. of personal injury court. Where we got down to the legal sauce of how a small bag of peanuts, or I should say, a large a bag, of peanut. bag of peanuts. That was such crap. How a could l- a big bag of peanuts cause somebody to lose vision in their eye? I mean, what kind of cannon do you have to have? You have to you have to be freaking Johnny Unitas to throw a big bag of peanuts. We'll have it land. Well, this will all be explained when yeah. we download the episode. Because- well, apparently, Homegrown Rue has one heck of an arm. Oh, yes. Are you serious? Oh, that was great. Uh, but, guys, on Thursday, we're going to be honoring for the 4th of July the troops. And we've been hyping this for a long time now. But you know what? We're going to thank them for their service. But also, we're going to give them some good old-fashioned sports entertainment. And jean shorts. And jean shorts. But you know what? You'll find out all about that, Chico, on the next episode of It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening. Please be kind to each other. And we will see you for the next one. Wow! Mr. Lionel Whitney talks about Mr. Ten Speed Turner. Boom, Ten Speed Turner. He's kind of a hard guy to describe. He's sort of all things to all people. Oh, the Lord blessed us this year. As a matter of fact, I'm never sure exactly who he is to me, but he's exciting and he's my friend. And I'm glad. They'll make adventure fun again. I think. Ten Speed and Brown Shoe. I'm Ten Speed. He's Brown Shoe. Premier Sunday, January 27th on ABC. We usually do one promo at the end of a show, 
But I got to give you a second one because this is a network promo for 10 Speed and Brown Shoe done by Rod Roddy. Tonight, they're finally here. What a terrific thing. 10 Speed and Brown Shoe, the most talked about new show of any season. I hate to leave things half done, don't you? Let's go. 10 Speed's the crazy one. You're an astronaut, right? You and John Glenn and Mickey Mouse got a bad re-entry and you just happened to land in the front seat of that limo? Brown Shoe's the quiet one. What are you doing to me? Together, there's some fair. Ten Speed and Brown Shoes. Tonight at 8, 7 Central and Mountain, right after Galactica 1980. And now the extremely rare Double Rar. Wow! Uh, so my last housemate left uh, all of a sudden, but fortunately through my work, uh, a position came up in Los Angeles, so I needed to find a new uh, housemate. Hello? The Grandmaster was the only one who answered my Craigslist ad. <laughs> Imagine that. I was the only one. Well, lucky me. At first I thought he was just another Hollywood-type person. Then I realized he was more than likely from another planet. I like learning about your culture. What do you call this? Toast. Yes. I come from Sakaar. It's a haven for lost things. That sounds kind of poetic, but it's really kind of a catch-all place. And uh, now, without boring you with the details, I had formerly, and for a rather long period of time, um, a, uh, an assistant slash bodyguard named Topaz. Uh, and uh, now, uh, you know, I'm looking for a new assistant, and you know who f seems to fit the bill just perfectly, believe it or not, is Daryl. He's starting to make me dress up in Topaz's armor. Um, he's getting me to do a lot of things for him, do the dishes, drive him around, and I also do his laundry. He says he's over one million years old, which I find hard to believe because he acts quite young, almost immature. He is a really nice guy. It's the first wow. thing I noticed about him. He's very charming oh. and persuasive, uh, but sometimes he uh, completely loses his temper. Damn it, God damn it! I don't do this for everybody, but I'm going to share with you some of the drawings that I've made here in uh, Daryl's house. They're all of Daryl. Now watch this. So here's the first one. I gave him an extra long tie. Tiggle, tiggle, tiggle. This is Daryl on a horse. Always oh, so happy. And uh, the horse has my face. Did you notice? That's also Daryl as a crying cyclops. Oh my golly. Well, <laughs> look at this. Here's Daryl asleep right there and of course he's dreaming about me my eye fell upon him and then i kind of knew it right away he's kind of like my muse he, he just he just interests me strangely what am i working on at the moment well um i you know i'm fixing to to uh, move in on this new planet now i've i've kind of taken a liking to it so i'm gonna rule uh earth uh, lately, he started talking about taking over Earth. I'm not sure how he would go about starting to take over Earth, but we made a video. Peoples of planet Earth, my name is Grandmaster, and I'm uh, about to become your ruler. Those who resist me, let me say, uh, will become uh, melted. This is my melting stick. Yeah, if people displease me, I can melt them. How many How many uh, views have we got now? One. One? That's not bad. <laughs> but that's just us, because we're uh, watching it. Maybe you need to refresh the, uh, refresh the window. Okay. Okay. 
And how many views do we have now? Now we've got two. Ah, good, good, two. So we're, we're uh, now nah, we're in business. But that second one is us too. We've seen it twice. We might need to make a, another video advertising the original video. You know anybody who could play uh, music? Some of, your, some of your work friends? Oh, by the way, don't forget to ring that notification bell. All right, see you Thursday, guys.